Morning, everyone. We are uh, we're we're in our series on looking at the pursuit of happiness, and um, you know, if, if you live, you know, living in America, we know that that we are blessed. How many say you are blessed today? We we're, we live in a very blessed country. I um I, uh, I I've I've noticed something. When, when you live in America, you notice, uh, you know, we're blessed with, with health care and obviously with wages, entertainment, pleasure. But I've been noticing something lately. The, the latest trend really is um, fitness. And, and I don't know if any of you are um, into fitness and into training and um, getting healthy. How many made a New Year's resolution that, that you're just going to get more healthy you're going to back off on the chips, right? And, and you're going to maybe join a, a health club and just get healthier and maybe start running or, or at least getting out of bed in the morning, whatever you're doing, just to, just to get better. But I've noticed that the, the health trends have really gone, really, you, you can see more um, fitness clubs going up. And I can remember as a kid, the only fitness club you had was basically the YMCA, how many remember that? You just hit the YMCA. Now, the YMCA, let me just say something. The YMCA is a lot different today than it was when I was a kid. If you ever, if you ever drove to the YMCA in Penfield, that's amazing. That place is, is, is beautiful. It's like a health club. The YMCA I grew up in, uh, my parents took me there. They, they said, Barton, do you want to swim? And I said, yeah, they, they, do you want to be on a swim team? And I said, sure. I was seven years old. So they brought me to the Maple YMCA in Rochester. The Maple YMCA had a pool, but it wasn't your normal 25 yards long. It was 20 yards, so it was shorter. So I was like the fastest kid in, in the whole America because it was a shorter pool. My times were faster than everybody else. And I was like, Mom and Dad, why are my times faster than anyone else? Well, the pool's a little shorter. The pool was in the basement. Um, the YMCA was really old, and when you'd go in there, it would smell like a gym. How many remember the days when a gym actually smelled like a gym? There was, there was no eucalyptus smell when you walked in. There was no water with, um, with cucumber in it when you walked in, right? There was none of that stuff. You walked in, and you're like, I'm at the gym. It stunk like smelly socks. Things were broken all the time. It just, it was, it, this was a gym that you enjoyed going to. I, I used to love going to the Maplewood uh, YMCA when I was a kid because I remember um, after swim practice, my parents would give me 40 cents and I could buy a soda and a bag of chips. I could, it was the old machine where the cup would drop down and then my favorite flavor was the cherry soda and it would just, the cherry would drop in and then the carbonated water would drop in and you, you would drink this and I'd have my little bag of wise barbecue potato chips, and I was in dream world. 40 cents, 20 cents for the drink, 20 cents for the chips. Now it's like $8 for a bag of chips. I don't know what happened. So I, I think I, I had this expectation that um, gyms are, you know, smelly, run down. That, that, was, that was my expectation. And um, what's interesting, I think in the world we live in, if we're not careful with our pursuit of happiness or understanding what true happiness is, let me tie this together here, is that I think our expectations are so high living in America that, that we automatically think that everything should go well in our lives. That, that, that we have this expectation that even, here's the false belief that even we have as believers, that many times as followers of Christ, that we buy this false idea that because I'm a follower of Christ, that everything is supposed to go 
perfect in my life or go really well in my life. And then when things don't go well and things come against me or suffering happens, we're, we're kind of like surprised. Is God against me? Does God not love me? What is going on in my life? And, and we have this expectation that all things should go well. There's maybe an entitlement in our mindset that if I work hard, things should go my way and I should be happy. And um, here's what I'm afraid of. You see, when I was a kid, my expectation of a gym was just that. It should be messy. It should be stinky. Uh, things should be broken. Not everything was going to be perfect. And so the purpose of the gym was a gym, not a spa. Now, I'm going to give you probably the best quote I'm ever going to give you all year. So get ready. If you want to write this down, write this down. Ready? Here's my best quote ever. This is mine. I made this up myself. Here's what I think. I think the problem with our happiness is we are expecting a spa life in a gym world. Isn't that good? At least I think it's good. There, I, you guys can clap. I, I don't know. You guys are patronizing me now. It's, it may not be that good. But, but here, here's the thing. Why, what do we do when things don't go our way? Are we grounded to something that's deeper? Are we, are, are, do, we, do we find happiness in the things that, that don't even go our way? And I think what we've discovered with, with happiness is there has to be something greater than myself and just fulfilling my own personal needs. Now, can we find happiness in a gym world? And I believe the answers are resounding yes. So what I want to do is I want to dig into this little section of scripture that Paul lays out for us in Romans 8. This is so good. And I believe the, the Apostle Paul puts into right perspective for us. How do we live um, in, in this gym world where it's messy and, and things are broken and maybe not everything's going to go our way. How do we live in this gym world and still find happiness? And I believe what, what Paul does for us in this section of, of Romans is, is shows us, listen, you've got to know who you are first. You have to know who you are in Christ. And when you know who you are in Christ and what he has for you, your whole perspective changes. It just changes. You're not going to look for this world to bring you that fulfillment or happiness. What you're going to do is you're going to look at this world and you're going to say, you know what? Not everything's going to work out my way. Not everything's going to go perfect. But you know what? I know who I am in Christ and I know what he has for me, which allows me to get through these things in this, in this world. So let's, if you've got your Bibles, you can look at the screens too. I'm going to look at, at Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18. And let's see how Paul encourages his listeners and us here today on how we can get a correct understanding and perspective as we, as we face suffering and how do we get through this, this world. He says in verse 14, starting, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then Paul puts it all in perspective here in verse 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory 
that is to be revealed in us. Can I get an amen? Some powerful verses here. So let's, let, let's, let's break this down. The, the, these verses remind me of um, the beginning of Charles Dickens' book of Tale of Two Cities, where it says it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. What, what we see here is we see some wonderful things that um, we can anticipate as believers in Christ, that future glory, uh, being co-heirs with Christ. But then there's that word uh, suffering. And Paul talks about suffering in verse 17. Now, I like hearing about being an heir of God. I like, I like things that result in following Christ and what he does for us. However, in these verses, there comes some small print. And, and has this ever happened to you where you didn't, you didn't necessarily read all the small print because you needed a magnifying glass to, to read it? Um, it? It may have cost you more. The, the salesperson didn't tell you maybe all that there was. Or maybe they told you to read the small print and you didn't read all of it. What Paul says here, he says, listen, you're, you're heirs with Christ if we indeed suffer in order that we may be glorified with him. So right away, something in my spirit says, well, wait a minute, I, I like all the heir stuff, but, but what does Paul mean about um, the suffering? What does this mean? In order to be a follower of Christ and to receive my inheritance, does my life have to be miserable? Does, does my life have to just include suffering all the time and be miserable in order to, do I have to suffer through all this world in order to receive this? Is there something that I have to do in my own power? And I just say, you know what, I just have to suffer and this is, the, you know, this is my lot in life and, and, and that's what it means to be a Christian. I don't think that's what Paul means. And what I believe that Paul means here is I believe that he says, even through the suffering we go to, we can see it with the right perspective and still count it as joy. And following the Lord. And so that, that's, I think, what Paul means here. And what he does is he tells us, listen, understand who you are in Christ. We're going to go through suffering, but understand who you are in Christ. And, and, and he uses this word adoption. He says, in Christ, we are adopted. And so in order to understand suffering and how we, how we get through suffering in this world and how we deal with it, what Paul first lays out for his listeners and for us here today. He says, listen, understand one thing. That in Christ, you've been adopted. That your, your identity now changes. And so this is a really interesting term that Paul uses here. Because something happens when I come to Christ. Something happens when I give my life to Christ. Something happens when... I bow my knee to him and I confess him as Lord and Savior. Something wonderful happens within our lives. What the scriptures say here is we are now adopted, that God now adopts us as one of his own and all the privileges that are Christ are now mine. I am now, something happens, there's a transaction that happens from my own life that, that, that I was alone, I was lost in my sin. But God says, now in Christ, when you come to me, I now adopt you as my sons and my daughters. And so what Paul is saying here is, I have a new standing in Christ that now makes me an heir to all of God's promises. All the things that were promised in Christ and what he did for us on the cross and through his resurrection are now promised to me because I am now co-heirs with Christ, I am now adopted as a son or daughter into his kingdom. And so what Paul is doing here is Paul is drawing this idea uh, of adoption from the Roman law of adoption. Um, and this is very important because uh, these laws, 
uh, is where we, uh, where we get many of our modern uh, day laws of adoption, and they draw from this uh, very thing from Roman times. And what's interesting about this is the Roman law, what it did for a person was it enabled a person to take a child that was not his own with the intent of treating that tr- child as his own with all the same rights as a, um, as a natural born child, which means... Here's what it literally meant for someone that was adopted during, during uh, this first century time. What it literally meant is that this child lost all the rights and responsibilities of his old family. Literally, this person was treated like a brand new person. Any debts or obligations, they were completely wiped out as if they never existed. And according to the law, the old life with any debt was completely wiped away. He was absolutely the son or daughter of that adopted family now. Now this person, by this law, had all the rights from the law, all the rights to receive the inheritance from this new family. He now, this this child now becomes co-heirs with the naturally born sons. And so what, 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 what Paul says here is, Paul explains to us that is exactly what happens to us when we become followers of Jesus Christ. When, we, when, we, when he comes into our hearts and he changes, we become born again. Our standing now changes. That we are now his sons and daughters. That, that our identity completely changes. That all the promises that are promised in Christ Jesus now become our promises. They, they now come true in our life. And so what God is saying to us, listen, when Jesus promises us the gift of eternal life, we receive that. And when we die, Jesus, you actually live. And that we receive all the promises, all the eternal glory that we're promising Jesus Christ now become ours. Have you even thought for a moment what heaven is even going to be like? I, I, Paul can't even express heaven. He says, there's no mind, no, no, nothing can even conceive um, what it will be like for us um, that day when we go to heaven. We can't even express or understand what that day is going to be like. So Paul says, listen, in, in this present suffering that you're going through, and you will go through it, he says, understand, first of all, that you are sons and daughters and nothing Nothing. If you go on in that chapter, he says nothing is going to separate you from that inheritance, which is in Christ Jesus. Not death, nor life, nor anything in this world can ever separate you from what Christ has for you. And so here's, here's what helps us to get through this life. That, that I know that these things are temporary. And, and then Paul puts it in, in, in really puts it in huge perspective where he says, the stuff I'm going through today can't even compare to what God has in store for us. So he goes, realize this. The reason why you can have this hope is because this hope is based in the fact that you are now adopted. That we are all adopted children. That all the promises are secure in Christ Jesus. And nothing that you go through now can ever compare to what God has in store for those who have put their hope in him. And so the way Paul can look at these present sufferings, he can say, these are nothing. And, and, and we can look at what Paul went. He'd been stoned to death. He wasn't well liked. He had to walk everywhere that he went. 
There were no YMCAs. I mean, he had, you know, Paul had not, I mean, Paul suffered for his faith in, in, in Christ, but yet he was so blessed because he knew that he was an adopted son of God through Christ Jesus and what he did for him. And all the rights and all the inheritance that was promised in Christ Jesus were now promised to him. And so that gave him a whole different perspective. We now become those co-heirs as naturally born sons. So, so Paul explains to us, this is what, exactly what happens to us in Christ. We have this absolutely wonderful future. So what happens here is this adoption. What happens is before this, we we're part of, of old Adam's household where sin and guilt ruled us. And our inheritance was death because of sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. However, through Christ, God took us out of that family and adopted us into his family through what Christ has done for us. And we have been completely forgiven of our debts because Christ took care of that for us on the cross. So the debt that we incurred before knowing Christ because of our sin which leads to death, which leads to an eternal hell apart from God. Through Christ Jesus, we are now adopted into this new inheritance, which includes eternal life, which includes all the promises that God promised through Christ. So the question is, how do I know? How do I know for sure that I'm adopted? How do I know that I'm a child of God? How do I know? Is it, do I know because I'm a member of a church? Do, do I know because uh, I go to church? Do, do I know because I say that I'm a Christian? Or do I know because um, I read my Bible? Paul tells us, here's how you know that you are an adopted child of Christ. Here's how you know. And he explains it for us. He says this. He says, when I come to Christ, God now indwells me with his spirit. So my spirit now agrees with his spirit that I'm now a child of God. And it says the Holy Spirit within me now cries out, what? Abba, Father. There's something within me. God places his spirit within me. And all of a sudden, that Holy Spirit within me. And it says my spirit agrees with his spirit that my life has changed. There's something different about my life that I now want to follow Christ. I want to do uh, what pleases him. Not that we never make mistakes, but all of a sudden that spirit's within me and that spirit disagrees with bad choices and things that go against the, the will of God. And now there, there's a conflict within my, my spirit now when I do things that, that are, are disobedient to the Lord. And, and, and it's the Holy Spirit convicting, uh, convicting power within us to make sure that we're following God and we're obeying him and knowing all of God's blessings. And so this Holy Spirit, Paul says, cries out, Abba, Father. Now, this, this, let, let's explain what this, what this word means. The word Abba is, is not some 70s disco group, right, from the 70s, okay? Um, the word Abba is an Aramaic word for father. And, and Jesus uses this same term. Jesus spoke Aramaic and he uses the same term in Mark 14, 36. And so what happens is this, the, when the spirit's within us, we now cry out, Abba, Father. There's this change of relationship. One that was alienated because of our sin now changes where I cry out, 
God, you're my father. And, and what that word means, it's a, it's actually, it's, it's a very intimate word. Paul is saying here that there's a change in relationship where we call out my father, not just father, right? How many of you, and my kids don't call me father, they call me dad, and my 18-year-old still calls me daddy. You know, I mean, they, it's okay, I like that. There's more of an intimate thing. Like, father, may I approach you now? Right, they, they, I don't make them, they just can't, hey dad, can I ask you a question? There's not this formal relationship. We've lived with each other a lot of times, we, or for a long time, and there's this more uh, intimate relationship that I'm, I'm their, their father. There's this change of relationship where you literally cry out, my father, it's close, it's personal. It's a, it's a confidence that God is my father and I'm his child. In fact, this word takes on this kind of a meaning. When you say Abba, um, what you're saying is, is my dad is bigger than your dad. It's that confidence saying that, that my dad can beat up your dad. No, I'm, because mine can. My, my, it's my God. You can take care of anything I want, right? It's, it's that confidence that he's going to take care of everything. Do you notice the change in relationship? When the spirit comes in me, when I come to Christ, God fills me with his spirit. And now all of a sudden that relationship changes from the old man that was subject to death because of my sin. And that was my inheritance is now broken. And God now adopts me as his child. I am a child of God now. And now my spirit agrees with the spirit that has now been given me the Holy Spirit that it now cries out, my father, you are my God. It's this personal relationship. And we, listen, I know in Christian circles, we will ask people, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And people are like, well, what does that mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Or do you have a religious relationship with Jesus Christ where you just go to church and you do your religious duty and then you do your own thing during the week? Having a personal relationship with God is exactly what Paul is talking about here. You know that you're a child of God when your spirit cries out, Abba, Father, something changes in your life. You are now adopted. And so when you cry out to God and you cry out to his son to save you, to help you, to change you, that you believe that he is God, that Jesus is the only way. When you put your faith in him, God now says, I'm going ch- to change everything in your life now. I'm going to change you from this status to this new status of being my adopted daughter and son, it, it has nothing to do. Here, here's the neat thing. Here's what I love about being um, adopted into the family of God. It has nothing to do with my past. It has nothing to do on how good or bad I was. It has nothing to do with all the bad decisions that I've made in my life and how maybe I've messed up my life. It doesn't matter whether or not you were born in a Christian family or not. I mean, some people say, you know, man, my life was so messed up. And I look at other people that weren't messed up and maybe brought up in church. And I'm so envious of that. Here's the wonderful thing about being adopted into God's family. God could care less of your background. He doesn't care what you did. He doesn't care what you didn't do. He doesn't care about any of those things. He says, come to me and I'm not going to cast you out. Just come to me just as you are with all your brokenness, all your messiness, all your dysfunction, all your religiosity. 
He said, come to me. And I'll change your status. I'll change it. And, and if you read, you know, later on, read through the rest of Romans chapter 8. Because it's the end of Romans chapter 8 is just going to make you get up and go, woo! It's so good. It's so positive. It's so... Paul is saying that there's nothing, there's nothing now that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You can have full confidence that you're my son and my daughter. And so what, what Paul is saying is, I think he's saying what suffering can do in our lives sometimes is it can make us doubt our adoption. Right? Right? It, it, can, it can make us, when you go through a difficult time, it makes you doubt. You know, God, do you really love me? God, do you really care about me? And Paul's saying, yes, he does. He goes, you are going to suffer. You are going to go through difficult times. But that is not going to change your status of being my son or my daughter. In fact, what it's going to do is, it's going to even draw you closer to me. It's going to cause you to come to me. And I'm going to walk with you through it. And I'm going to be with you. And I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you that's the promise of god isn't it and so that's our hope so no matter what we may go through or what we face in this world we know that ultimately i'm an heir of god through christ jesus that all these things that were promised to christ are, are that were promised to christ are now promised to me now i i i love um you know especially when my kids were younger um you know when i would walk in uh after a long day or whatever, and I'd walk in the door and they would always say, daddy, you know, and they would run and they would, they would just hug you and jump in your lap. And, and it was, you know, now it's like, I walk in and it's like eight hours later. Oh, dad, you're home. I didn't know. when did you come in? <laughs> yeah. I've been here for like eight hours. Right. Um, and so now when I walk in the door, the only one that really greets me is Mopsy. That's it. Just my dog, Mopsy. Can I get an amen? I mean, Mopsy is faithful. She's the only one that loves me, that cares about me. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So let's, let, let, let's wrap this up. Let's look at, let, let's look at what Paul says here in, um, in verse 17. And let, let's kind of let's put some perspective in this. He says, if you are now children, then you are heirs. And, and that's an Amen. And then he goes on to say, if you suffer with him in order that you may be glorified with him. And, and, and here's, here's where the catch is. Paul says that, that he says, I, I don't want you to look at your suffering and the things that you go through in a bad sense. Uh, what helps us to face the pain of this world and, and the trials that we face and the struggles that, that we may go through. Paul's saying, listen... Now that you understand that you are adopted sons and daughters, I want you to face what you're going through with a, with a different perspective. I, I, what I want you to see is that the future makes the present pains. The, the future, knowing the future, know that I'm adopted, knowing what I have, it says makes the present pains insignificant in comparison to what we will receive. And so verse 18 says, this is how Paul dealt with the pain. He says, what I'm dealing with now is insignificant in comparison with my future. Why? Because I am a son. I'm a son. I'm a father. My dad's bigger than your dad. 
My dad's looking out for me. I know he's with me. I know he's not going to leave me or forsake me because I am a son. He will not abandon me. So, so how does God, here's the question. Here's a million dollar question. How does God use suffering in our lives now? Right? How, how does God use that? How does God use the suffering in our lives now? Let me, let me quote to you from Pastor John Piper. I just thought this was a, a brilliant quote. I love this. He said, if there were no afflictions and difficulties and troubles and pain, our fallen hearts would fall ever more deeply in love with the comforts and securities and the pleasures of this world. Instead of falling more deeply in love with our inheritance beyond this world, namely God himself. Suffering is appointed for us in this life as a great mercy to keep us from loving this world more than we should and to make us rely on God who raises the dead. Which the word of God tells us that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now we all know that how, how difficult life can be. However, 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 Let's keep this in perspective. Suffering keeps what is most important before us, our inheritance in Christ. So the way we need to maybe picture this life is let's picture it as a journey on our way to receive a spectacular inheritance. It will protect us from idolatry and actually make our burdens lighter and quiet all of our murmurings. Amen? Uh, many of you know who John Newton is, and John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, and he shared this wonderful illustration about our inheritance. He said this. He puts it this way. He says, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate, a free inheritance that was given to him that's going to completely change his life. And on his way to New York, his carriage broke. Now, for some of you that don't know, it was horse and carriage way back in the day. So that's when it says carriage. His, his, his carriage broke uh, uh, down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. So he had to walk the rest of the way to, to inherit this huge inheritance that will change his life. What a fool we should think of him if we saw him wringing his hand and blubbling out all the remaining miles. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. See, when you get a fresh perspective of your adoption and we get a fresh perspective of what our inheritance is we shouldn't be wringing our hands we should be saying hey god in this present life these are just light and monetary afflictions compared to what you have in store for us and that god i know that you're my father that you're going to help me through this and I'm not trying to make light of suffering. Paul wasn't trying to make light of suffering either. But he was trying to change our perspective so that our joy would not be lost. 
than serving God here and now. That God is doing so much deeper work and sometimes he uses the suffering in our life to actually keep us from being bounded and, and, and to keep us chained to the things of this world so that our allegiance would be to Christ and Christ alone. There was a newsletter that I, I received a couple of months ago from missionaries that we support uh, uh, in, in, in Nepal. And, um, and this newsletter was, was very endearing to me because uh, these missionaries I know very well. The one girl was in my youth group uh, growing up and um, I noticed God giving her a calling onto the mission field. She, she married her husband. He had a calling in the mission field and now they serve um, unreached people group where they've never, ever, ever heard the gospel. In fact, I remember one time she showed me a picture and she said, she said, Pastor Barton, I just want to show you this picture. I want to show you this picture. And I'm like, what, what? So she showed me this picture and she goes, you see this house? I said, yeah, it's just a normal house. She goes, beyond this house, the gospel has never been shared, ever. She goes, and we're going beyond this house. And what they do is they just basically go and they travel in, in the Himalayas. And her husband's learning the dialect of the Nepali language. He's a very, very smart, smart man. And um, they go and they just live with people. People, The hospitality, you go and then people invite you in the house and you live with them for a week or two. And they share the stories of Jesus. It's just That's missions, isn't it? That's pretty cool stuff. Well... They shared with me um, a story um, about a man that they've been sharing um, Jesus with uh, for about a year. And it's a, it's a Hindu priest in Nepal. And um, they've been sharing Jesus with him for a year. And they said that he had a dream about following Christ. This Hindu priest had a dream about following Jesus Christ. But in the dream, it said it would mean suffering. And so he's, he's, as they're sharing Jesus, this was, this was, um, Lynn, this, this is what they said. She said, it, 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 it's counting the cost of struggling to follow Christ. That's what he's doing right. He's counting the cost. And this is what her prayer was. She said, she said this, she goes, please pray this, that he would choose Jesus, even if it meant hardships. See, when I get a perspective of my inheritance and what Christ has done for me, I'm going to choose Jesus. And that's what we have to do. Jesus, I'm going to have to choose you. I, I know this is hard. I know what I'm going through is not easy. But Jesus, I'm going to choose you because I know what's waiting for me. So, so I'm going to choose you. I know I'm your son, but I'm going to, I'm going to choose you. And I know you're going to help me to get through all this but I'm going to choose you. And so I don't know where you are today um, in your walk with the Lord. I don't know. You may be sitting here and you say, Pastor Barden, it's been a long time since I called out to God as my father. It's been a long time since I felt really a close, intimate relationship with God. You know, I, I know he's there. I've come to him as a kid or a teenager or maybe whatever, and things just go on in your life and you just, that relationship broke and it's been, it's been a long time. I, I want to say to you, God's calling you back. You see, and I never took my eye off of you. You may have left me, but that didn't change my relationship with you. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. 
Just like the father waited for the prodigal son and saw him first. My eyes have never been off you the whole time. And some of you may be here and you just may be going through some, some, some rough stuff. God says, my inheritance for you has never changed. And it's nothing in comparison to what I have for you. So remain steadfast in me and I'm going to see you through it. I'm going to see you through it. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. But put your trust in me and call out my father. Because I'm, I'm going to be there. And I'm not going to leave you. So I want to pray for you today. And the way we're going to kind of end the service today is that um, the, the song we're going to sing is really just phenomenal. It just really focuses on it is well. It is well, it is well, it is well, it is well. It's a new modern day, you know, worship song. But I want you to listen to the words. And I, I want you to respond to the Lord the way you need to respond. If you want to come and just pray at the altars, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm not going to have you stand. I'm just going to have you sit at your seats, look at the words. Just spend this last couple of minutes reflecting. If, if you need to come back to the Lord, do that. He's waiting for you. If you're going through a, a difficult time, then just lay that at God's feet. Come to him again. Let him change your perspective again. Let him know that you're a child. And uh, let's just worship him and, and just make this time between you and the Lord in, in a reflective time. So I want to pray for you, and then um, the band's just going to lead us in that song, and we'll close out. So let's just pray. Let's just ask God to help us right now. Lord, we just come before you. God, I thank you for these wonderful encouraging words. I thank you, Lord, that um, when we come to you, when we express our faith in Christ Jesus, we now become your adopted sons and daughters with all the rights and all the privileges that are now in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you would... Um, just work that into our hearts. If, if, we've, if we're away from you and we've lost that intimacy with you, God, I pray that we would just come back to you and you would restore that into our hearts. If we're going through a difficult time, God, I pray that we would just see it with a new perspective, knowing what our inheritance is, that we are your children and that nothing can separate us from your wonderful love. So, Lord, I just want to thank you. We love you, Lord, and I just pray that you would do your work in your, in your church's heart for every person here, God, that you would show them in a deep way what you've done for them and how much you love them. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.